few years ago, I heard a story of a young woman in Africa. This woman, a uh, young woman in her uh, mid-teens, apparently, uh, it was her task to go to the well every day to get the water that she and the family would need and to carry it back into town, uh, a trip of a couple miles uh, uh, one way. On the edge of town, as she was entering, having carried that water all the way back, she tripped, fell, and the clay jar that she was carrying the water in shattered, spilling the water. And she was filled with such shame that she committed suicide. The man who told that story had heard that story firsthand and was moved, and he created a company that sells water, and I, I don't remember the name, it's mostly on the East Coast, but most of the, almost all the proceeds go to well projects in Africa. Because he began to understand what we take for granted. We go to our taps and we turn on the faucet and we get water at, at a command and, and uh, we're even more blessed if we turn on the water uh, and we get hot water too, not just cold water. We think nothing of it until, for whatever reason, the water supply is shut off or uh, as I had happen a few years ago where the pipes froze. We just take it for granted. But in some parts of the world, water is a necessary thing and, and it's work to bring it into the house. And that certainly was true in the days of Jesus and especially uh, in, the, in the Holy Land. Here in the, today's Gospel, we have this woman who's at the well. And again, as I always encourage, when, when the Gospel writers, the evangelists, give us details to pay attention it's not just a throwaway that she's there at noon. There's a reason she's there at noon, and there's a reason that St. John records it as such. Because anyone in the right mind would not be at the well carrying that water, which is hard work, back to their, to their home. It is hot, hard work. And noon is among the hottest time of the day when the sun is highest in the sky. Why was she at the well at noon? Most likely because she was embarrassed. That well had become for her a place of shame, most likely. And we hear later, of course, that she had had five husbands. A man she's with is not her husband. She's not married to him. Maybe that was a source of shame. After all, uh, you have to imagine that this town is a fairly small town. To have five husbands, most likely they would have been local. Somebody's brother, cousin, friend. There she is, married five times, divorced five times, and with a man she's not married to. This, even in Gentile areas, especially in Jewish areas, was looked down upon. But one has to assume, and I haven't uh, done the research yet, but uh, the Samaritans were, in, by and large, followers of the Jewish law because they were, in fact, descendants of the Jewish people. They were the ones who were left behind in the Babylonian exile, who intermarried into the pagan cultures around them. And so there was some dilution of the faith, but not uh, incredibly much. There were some cultural changes that occurred. And so when the Jewish people were released from Babylon and brought back, they recognized, but not quite, the Samaritans and saw them as half-breeds, basically. An insult, of course. 
saw them as somebody other. And so a good Jewish person was not to deal with the Samaritans at all. And yet, here we have Jesus encountering this woman at the well at noon at the place of her shame. And he begins talking to her. He begins drawing out from her her faith. And if we pay attention, and I encourage you to do so today and and actually next week as well, we'll see this progression, uh, a beautiful thing that happens. And we hear it in the very titles that she uses. Again, little details that the gospel writer gives us that are not just throwaways. The first addressing she gives to him is, how can you, a Jew, I can't help but hearing a little derision there, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink? Forget the fact that she was a Samaritan woman. She was doubly to be ignored, perhaps. How can you ask me for a drink? Well, if you would have known the one who was asking, Jesus responds, you would have asked him, and I would have given you living water. You don't even have a cup, sir. Sir, a man. She's softening a little bit. Sir, give me this water always, so that I may not have to come back to this place. Now, she's not just saying that in order to avoid the work of bringing water back. Again, I believe it was deeply because this was a place of shame for her. We can't, uh, I I struggle with the uh, image of what uh, the gathering at the well would have been for the people. And uh, I have to admit, although I've not necessarily experienced it, it's gathering around the water cooler or the coffee pot, the coffee clutch perhaps where all the gossip gets done, all the talking gets done, and they solve all the problems of the world in their head, but not really. And more times than not, most likely, she was part of the conversation. She wanted to avoid that conversation and avoid the the heat of the day. If she didn't have to keep coming back to that place of shame, life would be so much better for her. Give me this water, sir. And he begins to continue to call her out. Call your husband. I'm I'm, I'm not married. Yeah, that's right. Notice, though, he doesn't condemn her, but he challenges her. He doesn't say, you're not worth my time, but challenges her and brings her to conversion. So often in our world, and and I've heard it, maybe you've heard it, I uh, allude to it in my pastor's notes this week, that uh, so often we hear this thing of, of Jesus doesn't condemn people and he, he would be people with people in their sin. Yes, yes, let us be clear. God loves us. There's nothing we can do that will make God love us less. That being said, there's nothing we can do that can make God love us more. He loves us unconditionally. But he also wants and desires the very best for us and doesn't allow us to do, uh, continue in ways of sin. And he will give us our choice. Here, he's challenging this woman in a good way. It doesn't condemn her, but challenges her to a better life. And she responds, I can see you are a prophet. Her faith is growing. And of course, in the end, she knows that he's the Messiah. Could he be the Messiah? Could he be the one? Because he's told me everything I have done. 
and he forgives. We don't hear that explicitly here, but we have to assume it's here. She begins to understand that the well, while it could be a source of pain, is also a source of healing for her. And she begins, and I I believe this is definitely true, she begins to understand the difference between shame and perhaps guilt. We as Catholics are often accused of this Catholic guilt thing as if it's a bad thing, and I don't think it's necessarily bad. Because there is a difference, and so often people get the two confused. And I, I ask your apologies for the alliteration, but uh, that's the way I remember things, and maybe you'll help find it helpful too. But the difference between shame and, and guilt is all in the alliteration. Shame always sticks us with Satan, and it ca- catches us in cycles of sin. That the more we experience shame, that it's some, I'm bad, not I've done something bad. I'm bad. I'm flawed. But guilt, on the other hand, is an act of grace. And it always goes to God if we allow it. That I've done something bad. God, in his mercy and his grace, will forgive me, can forgive me, if I come back to him. In the end, guilt is never caught up in the presumption of forgiveness either, though. That's a balance. I think we live in a world that just simply presumes God's mercy and God's forgiveness. And there's a weird balance here that, yes, God is merciful. God is forgiving. But we can never presume it. And so we can never act out knowingly doing something wrong, doing something that we know to be a sin, thinking and justifying to ourselves that, well, God's going to forgive me anyway. Uh, This week I I had... uh, a little reminder of, of some of that in, in one of our daily readings, how we can so easily justify our own sinfulness. And if you want to remember it, it's, it's just if I do this, because, and we put in all sorts of rationalizations there, which as De- Deacon Ralph Poyo a number of years ago at a mission said, well, the nice thing about rationalizing is we have to remember the rational lies. L-I-E-S. They make sense to us, but they're still lies. And in the end, it leads to deeper shame. Guilt reminds us we have done wrong, but God desires more. Shame always leaves us hurting, pain-filled. Perhaps this day we might recognize our own well, the place of shame. We might recognize the lies that we've believed. We believe all sorts of lies. Some of them come from our childhood, some from broken relationships and various other ways. The lies, I'm not good enough, I'm unlovable, I'm at my very core faulty. The lie of I'm not pretty or not handsome, not strong, not masculine enough, not feminine enough, not, not this, not that, not a million different things. And the lies lead to shame. And shame makes us avoid our Lord who loves us. But when we encounter the Lord at the well, when we encounter him in that place of shame and invite him in and allow him to dialogue with us, as he does with this woman, we find forgiveness, mercy, love, the one where we are waiting for. Even though this woman that morning is, or that noon as she's out at the well doesn't, 
probably had no intention or no, no knowledge at all of what was going to happen. The Lord encountered her and she left changed. We see that in what could be possibly the most overlooked line of this whole gospel passage. She left her water jug there. The reason for her going to that place of shame, she left behind. Oh, later, physically, she probably had to go back to the well and take the water jug back. But she left it there. She left her burden there with the Lord and went back to announce the gospel. Could he be the Messiah? Could he be the one we, even we, are waiting for? And the beautiful testimony of the Samaritans today, many began to believe in her, but then they come and say, we no longer believe because of your word, but because we have heard for ourselves. When we live with this awareness of grace in our life, allowing uh, the, the guilt, perhaps, to make us return to the Lord, return to the, the well, and I, I would suggest that the greatest well we have in our midst is the confessional. Yes, it can be a source of shame, but it ought not be, because it is also the place where we encounter the Lord's grace, that we let go of the lies, and we begin to experience in ourselves how much the Lord loves us, how much the Lord forgives us, how much he desires our faith, that we begin to understand it's no longer a place of shame, but a place of encounter.